and everyone else, Isaiah chapter 53 in your Bibles. Again, I want to encourage everyone to move up to the front half of the room. Let's be a family together this evening. If you have a medical concern and need to stay in the back, uh, we'll respect that. But everyone else, please, if you would, when we stand in just a moment, scoot on up to the front half of the room. And we got three sections here. we got 224 chairs in the room and about 25 of us. There's no reason to be spread out all across the room here. So let's enjoy the service together. Isaiah 53, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look tonight at verses 4 through 9 by way of introduction. Isaiah 53, 4 through 9. And we may not make it past just subpoint B under number 2 tonight. We've got a lot of ground to cover there. But um, 4 through 9 covers, is, is really the meat of Isaiah 53. Before I read this passage, we know that Isaiah 53 is one of the most uh, famous chapters in the book. It's also um, uh, interesting, interesting factoid here. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah lay out God's wrath over their broken law. The last 27 chapters of Isaiah lay out God's uh, plan of redemption and restoration of Israel. There's 39 Old Testament books. There's 27 New Testament books. The Old Testament lays out the consequences of breaking the law. The last 27 is the New Covenant that lays out God's plan. If you look about halfway through uh, the 27 last chapters of Isaiah, you get to Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is where we find the story or the prophecy of how Jesus, the Messiah, would, would, would be uh, killed on our behalf or would die on our behalf. Um, about halfway through your New Testament is where you find John chapter number 3. And uh, I, I, the, it has been said by many theologians that Isaiah is a miniature Bible. It's a miniature Bible. Let's look at verse 4 through 9. And I, I don't want us to feel rushed tonight, but we'll get out at the same time we always do. Let's open up the Word of God tonight. Let's open up our hearts. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there, was there any deceit in his mouth. And so the title of the Bible study this evening is this, The Finished Work of the Messiah. Lord God, help us as we focus in in great detail to how you were, uh, Lord, slain on the cross for our sins. You willingly laid down your life and allowed yourself as a lamb to be slain. And just as the lamb before her shears was dumb, you opened not your mouth. Your visage was marred. You were pierced through. You were bruised. You were beaten. Uh, you were laid in the grave and you came back to life. And uh, through your suffering, we are 
offered freedom. Thank you for the atonement. Thank you for the suffering. Thank you that you endured uh, the punishment of our sin on the cross. Thank you for salvation that's offered. Lord God, may tonight's sermon just be a great reminder uh, to all of us of what you did on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We said last week Isaiah 53 has been understood by the Jewish nation for thousands of years to be a prophecy about the coming Messiah. But once Jesus came and they rejected him uh, tr- corporately, uh, traditionally, they changed their view of Isaiah 53 being about the Messiah to being about rather um, vague Israel struggle. And we know this is not vague Israel struggle. We know that this wasn't even commonly believed by the Israelites. Part of the way we know that is that Philip climbed up in the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch and uh, declared to him that um, the chapter he was reading, our Isaiah 53, same passage, was a, a passage about the Messiah, and we know that to be Jesus. And he declared Jesus, him slain, crucified, and risen from the dead. Isaiah 53 lays out for us the account of the Lord. We said also last week that Isaiah 53 is a writing about how the Messiah would die. He would die via crucifixion, and when Isaiah penned these words, the uh, art of crucifixion, the torture of crucifixion had never even been done. It had never even been thought of. And Isaiah predicted the death, the type of death the Savior would endure, the Messiah would endure, before it was even a form of punishment. In Isaiah's day, the way you corporately punish someone is that you stoned them, and then if you wanted to embarrass them, you would leave their corpse exposed for people to walk by and to see. Yet Isaiah did not say the Messiah would be stoned. He said he would be pierced through with many sorrows. He would be bruised. And so we know that uh, this was the Lord. I also want to say this before we move on any further. One of my favorite things that I have unveiled and uncovered in my own study of the Bible over the last, I'd say, five or six years, really in my time as the pastor, is just how symmetrical every single portion of the Bible is. When I tell you that God is a God of order, and I tell you that the Bible is written with profound order, um, it's written on such a level of profound order that the men who penned it on earth could not have known how orderly of a book they were writing. And listen, one man with a creative mind could maybe put together some really imaginative story, such as the narrative of the Bible. But understand, the Bible was not written by one man. The Bible was written by a variety of men over a uh, over a span of uh, thousands of years from various cultures and various languages. And many of them did not know each other or even have access to some of the other writings, yet you put it all together and you have the most profound book that fits together with no contradictions or errors. There are those who scoff and claim there are contradictions, but in the Bible there really aren't any contradictions. And uh, these um, uh, these supposed contradictions all have an explanation and an answer. And here we find uh, the prophecy of Isaiah of the, the the way our Messiah would suffer. So let's just really quick look back and review our outline, and then we're going to get right into the new material this evening. We said last week, number one, we looked at verses one through three, and we talked about the rejection of the Messiah. We 
said letter A, his humble coming. Look with me at verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Jesus used his fingers to make creation. He used his strong hand to uh, get Israel out of Egypt, the Israelis out of Egyptian bondage, but he uses his mighty arm in order to save us from sin. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We looked at the shepherds and saw how that Jesus' coming was revealed there Excuse me, in Luke 2 to the shepherds, but it was also revealed to anyone else who cared to see with a star in the sky that hovered right over the place where Jesus abided. We said, uh, letter B, we talked about his hideous countenance. Verse 2, down in the verse says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We said that Jesus' visage was so marred and his body was so uh, beaten and torn that when he hung up there on the cross, it was a difficult, gory sight to behold. Psalm 22 opens, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then you get down to verse 6 of Psalm 22, and the Bible tells us, again, another messianic prophecy, a messianic psalm. It says, I am as a worm. And uh, Jesus' countenance there on the cross was hideous. No one wanted to look at him. And then we saw letter C, why he was rejected. We saw the hostile culture. Jesus was the opposite of everything that religious people were in that day, people that held a religious position. Uh, Jesus uh, valued uh, poverty and simplicity while the Pharisees and scribes and uh, religious sect valued wealth. And Jesus, uh, uh, they valued social prestige. Well, Jesus said, invite the lame and the blind and and, and the poor and the sinner uh, to your banquet, uh, knowing they will not be able to invite you in return. We said that uh, they hated Jesus. They were hostile toward Jesus because they valued a reputation. They wanted a strong reputation while Jesus made himself of no reputation, and uh, he uh, he did not care what others thought of him. He cared rather about serving the lowly and the broken, and not uh, 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 impressing those of great power. And then we saw last that they hated Jesus because uh, they enjoyed being served by others, whereas Jesus was the one who did the serving. He was the one washing the feet. He was the one serving the food. He was the one cooking the fish and dividing uh, the fish and the bread for the multitudes. And Jesus was rejected because they wanted a conquering king while Jesus came to be a suffering servant. And then we moved on from verses 1 through 3 last week and we saw number 2, the redemption of the Messiah. Uh, We looked at letter A. We talked about our sin. Look with me back at verse 4. This will help us lay the groundwork for where we're going tonight. Notice where again we put the emphasis. We did this last week, but but let's do this again in order to prepare our hearts for uh, the, the new material. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Look here. He was wounded for... Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we 
are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone in rebellion, everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, our sin. I shot down last week hard the belief that people are born good into the world and that the corruption of our world uh, causes people to move into sin. No, no, no. We are shaping in iniquity. In sin, our mothers conceive us. As David said in Psalm chapter 51, verse 5, when the, the, the serpent bit the heel of the woman, that caused her to be bruised. And uh, all of us born of Adam are are born with a sin nature under a condemnation. And listen, I did not cover this as much last week. That condemnation equates to an eternity separated from God in hell. Someone says, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? And I think that whole question is broken. Uh, God is just in doing whatsoever He pleases. And God owes you and I no explanation on why He does what He does. It is a humanistic viewpoint to step back and say, God, I do not deserve to have God throw me in hell. No, you deserve hell because you are a sinner just like I am. God can cast anyone into hell that He so chooses over their wrongdoing because we broke the law and so therefore we deserve to face the consequence. But God is so much greater than that. God does not want to send sinners to hell. In fact, uh, we'll see tonight, God made a propitiation, a substitution, so that all can come to repentance. So we see tonight the need. Now, there is uh, something else I want to address tonight, and that is this false gospel that is being preached in churches all over this country. And here is this false gospel. It's the avoidance of talking about sin and hell, and an emphasis that Jesus wants to be your Savior. And I want to say tonight, you cannot get saved until you've been thoroughly lost. You cannot be saved. People don't want to talk about hell because they're afraid it will offend someone. Look, if someone's in a home and that home is on fire, I'm going to run into that home. I'm going to kick their door down if I have to. They can be offended. They can be angry. They can yell at me. They can cuss at me. But I'm going to say, hey, knucklehead, your house is on fire. Get out. And a lot of times we don't want to tell people that they're walking down the broad path to destruction as Jesus described in Matthew 7.13. They're walking down the path of destruction. They're walking down the path to hell. And what we need are for people to warn them and say to them, Hey, hey, the bridge is out ahead. You're going to fall into a devil's hell. Listen, you cannot see someone saved until you help them see that they're lost. And in churches all across America today, we are afraid to talk about sin and the condemnation of sin. And I want to say today, the world lives under the condemnation of sin, but they don't have to. Because Jesus has provided a way to have that condemnation lifted and forgiveness to be offered. But let me just be very clear, as the prophet is in Isaiah 53, that did not come cheap. What God had to do 
in order to offer you a ticket out of hell and a ticket to heaven. And what God had to do in order to extend you mercy, the release of bad consequences and grace, the giving of good uh, things to you, boy, he had to pay a high price. And Isaiah 53 lays out the details of the price that God had to pay through the person of Jesus and the Messiah coming down to rescue mankind from their sin. Let me say tonight that you cannot be redeemed until you first understand that you are a slave in need of redemption. You are a slave to sin. You say, I make my own choices. I do what I want. I call the shots on my life. I decide how I live. I decide where I go. I decide this. I decide that. My friend, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to the Savior. There's no other way to put it. Uh, you're either a, a, a soul to under sin and on your way to hell or you've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus that He shed on Calvary and you're on your way to heaven. Either you're you're owned by the devil in the world or you're owned by the Lord. Uh, but there is no in-between. You do not own yourself. You cannot be redeemed until you understand that you are a slave to sin. You say, I'm not a slave to sin. Okay, then stop sinning. Prove that you can go seven days without committing a single sin. I don't know a soul that can go seven days without committing a single sin. Everybody in this room tonight, including me, has committed at least one sin in the last seven days. And probably all of us in here have committed a sin at some point today. We're sold as slaves under sin. We need a Redeemer to buy us back. Boy, what the Redeemer had to do is intense. Letter B, we see his suffering. And I gave you the blank last week, but we did not cover any of the material. And I don't know that we're going to get past letter B this evening. You see all those references up there on the screen? We're about to do an intense Bible study on the suffering of Jesus. Let's take this apart a little bit at a time. Look back with me at verse number 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, spitten of God, and afflicted. Look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That word wounded there means he was pierced through. Take your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 22 and verse 16. We looked at Psalm 22 last week. And there are three places in the Old Testament that are very, very clearly talking about the Lord Jesus. There's more than that. But three uh, that just sort of jump off the page at you. Leviticus 22, Psalm 22, and Isaiah 53. Look with me at Psalm 22 and... Let's look at verse 16. You can't read the entirety of Psalm 22 and not see what Jesus did, what Jesus went through. And let me just say this to you Bible students in here tonight. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Please listen closely what I'm about to tell you. You cannot understand the Old Testament until you fully understand the New Testament. As we understand the New Testament, we work backwards to understand the Old Testament. You need to get the New Testament down because the New Testament is the slide projector and the Old Testament are the slides. You all are old enough to remember the slide projector and the slides, right? The circle on the top and the light that comes through. Maybe you remember the film back in the old Kodak cameras and you, you spin the dot, wah, 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 right? And you take the next shot and you only got, what, 18, 
pictures and you drop it off at Walmart and you come back a week later and you pick up your pictures. Um, I just dated myself there, didn't I? But um, uh, you know what? You hold that, they give you the pictures and they give you the film and you hold that film up to the light and you can kind of tell but you can't really tell. Listen, we understand the Old Testament based on the New Testament. The New Testament is the completion of the Old Testament. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to what, church? Fulfill. The New Covenant, the New Testament, is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Once we understand the fulfillment, we go back and understand the Old. Now, look at Psalm 22 and look at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They pierced my hands and my feet. Boy, that sounds like an event that happened in the New Testament. Turn over with me there uh, to uh, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Again, you're going to hold your place in Isaiah 53 because that's our principal text. And we'll be back to it. I, uh, Luke chapter number 24 and verse number 39. Luke chapter 24 and verse 39. Here Jesus is resurrected. He's appearing to the disciples. and Look at verse 39. <laughs> it says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. When he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. Psalm 22, they're going to pierce me through. My hands and my feet. Isaiah 53, he was wounded. He was pierced through. Uh, take your Bibles to Zechariah. Now in Zechariah chapter 12, what do we have here? We have a prophecy of the very end of the tribulation uh, where um, Jesus is going to come back in the battle of Megiddo or uh, the great war there at the end against the nations and the Antichrist. He's going to come and rescue the Jews who will be in hiding and struggle. And the same uh, Jewish people that rejected Jesus 2,000 plus years prior are going to see him and they're going to identify him for uh, this very concept of him being wounded. Look at Zechariah and look at verse number uh, 12, chapter 12 and verse number 10. Notice there, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and he shall be in bitterness for him, and one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. He was wounded. Why was he wounded? Why was he pierced through for our transgressions? Who pierced him? Well, directly, the Jews did. The Jews had him crucified. They had the Romans do it. They threw him to the wolves of the Romans. Take your Bibles over to, uh, let's see, uh, John. John chapter 19. And look with me at verse number 31. He was wounded. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Directly, the Jews were responsible for it. But indirectly, you and I were the ones who pierced him through. It was our transgressions that put him there on that tree. It was our sin that caused him to be there. 
Let's read about it. John 19. Look with me at verse 31. We'll read down through verse 37. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken. They might be taken away. And by the way, it was prophesied that Jesus would never have a bone broken. And so now they're going to go break the bones. Watch how prophecy comes to pass very sensationally here. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, for he knoweth, for he knoweth that he saith true that ye, ye might believe. These things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. He was wounded for our transgressions. They wanted the bodies to be dead because of the Passover that was approaching. And so, uh, as you may, may or may not know, the way crucifixion works is that you would have a, your feet nailed and your hands nailed and you would have to pull up and push up to get a breath and you'd lower back down, and you'd have to continue to go through that motion to live. And uh, just a few hours had passed since they had been nailed to the tree, but with um, Passover coming, they needed to have the bodies dead and down off the cross, and so they ordered to have the men's legs broken so that they would not be able to do the pull-up in order to breathe, and they would die quickly. But when they came to Jesus, the thieves had their legs broken. Jesus was already Dead. Our sin had already killed him, our sin. We see his suffering. He was wounded. Notice back in Isaiah 53 and verse number 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That word bruised there means crushed under the weight of a burden. Crushed under the... What burden crushed the rose of Sharon? What burden crushed our Lord? Take your Bible to Psalm chapter 38 and verse number 4. Psalm Let's see, let's get some of the men to help us with the reading this evening. Is there anyone, any men in the room who would prefer not to be called upon to read? And we need to make sure it's King James. So if you don't want to be called on, let me know. Okay. Psalm 38, verse 4. All right, everybody else is comfortable with that? You don't want to be called on? You do want to be called on. Then don't raise your hand at the wrong time, Mike. Okay. All right, you just, not yet. Hold on. Uh, yeah, you got the wrong version of the Bible. Is that what it is? Oh, you okay? I got you. Okay, all right. Okay, he's that he's that kid in class who you know anytime me right here me. Okay, all right. Let's start here with Jason. Psalm thirty-eight, verse four. Go ahead.
as a heavy burden. Now, all right, let, I'll, I'll talk as we're turning to the next passage because we've got a lot of ground to cover here. Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Mark 14. Think about, this is a, a profound thought. The, God is, through every description, He's omnipotent, meaning He's all-powerful. He's omniscient, meaning He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, meaning He's everywhere at the same time. He's omnibenevolent, meaning He's all-loving. How can a God who is all those things have His life snuffed out? What is it that would, in just a few short hours, bring that life to an end? There is a burden that bruised and crushed our Lord um, uh, violently crushed our Lord by bruising Him. Mark chapter 14, and let's see, verse number 36. Brother Ben, can you read that for us? So there is a burden too heavy. There is a cup with some metaphorical liquid that he does not want to drink. And let me just pause here and say, anyone who questions the Trinity, Jesus is telling the Father, I don't want to do this, but not my will, but thy will be done. There's clearly a distinction in the Godhead here. We believe in one God, but we believe there are three beings that make up that one God. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't make any sense. Look, if God was simple enough for you to wrap your mind around and understand, He would not be God. There needs to be some element of Him being too complicated for us to get. But if God says He's three in one, then we just need to believe He's three in one. All right. But what was in that cup? What was this burden? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we find the answer to this mystery. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 21, what was it that crushed Jesus on the cross? Brother Kyle? It was sin in that cup that he didn't want to drink. It was the burden of sin that was the weight of sin that was laid on Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for what? For our iniquities. Now, I want you to take just a moment with me and think about this. How many sins are you going to commit in your lifetime? It will be into the... Being realistic here, it will be into the hundreds of thousands if you live to be 70 to 80 years old. Now, there are 8 billion people alive today. How many sins collectively will those 8 billion people... If you could freeze the population of just the people that are alive today... All right, I'm trying to help us wrap our mind around this. The Lord Jesus became... Every single sin of all of humanity, past, present when he died, and future at one time. He who knew no sin 
became our sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. He was bruised. He was crushed. He was bruised for our iniquity. Go back to Isaiah chapter 53. Oh, the totality of the sin that the Lord became all at one time. Oh, the weight. Oh, the pain. Oh, the agony. Oh, the suffering. Verse 5, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Notice this next phrase. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Let's talk about how He was chastised. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24. 1 Peter 2. Verse 24. Brother Carl, when you have that, could you read that for us? First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Coming right up. By whose stripes ye were healed. When the Bible talks about his chastisement, it's talking about those stripes that were laid on his back. That vicious cat of nine tails, those nine leather whips in one handle, uh, uh, historically sh- shards of glass or pottery uh, or rock would have been uh, fused onto the end of those whips and they would have laid furrows into his back across you know, his, his posterior and his legs, and they would have ripped great chunks of skin, would have wrapped around maybe even into his rib cage and laid furrows. Look back at that verse, First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body. My friend, please understand, you can't buy your way to heaven. Your sin debt is so great, it cost God leaving heaven and taking your sin in His own body for you to have any shot at knowing salvation. He was chastised for our peace. Look back at Isaiah 53. Look at verse number 5. But He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes, we are healed. That's that chastisement, those stripes. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Look here. Yet He opened not His mouth. Let's see how the Lord Jesus fulfilled this Isaiah prophecy to open not his mouth. First, let's see how this took place with Caiaphas. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Caiaphas was the chief priest uh, during that the time Jesus lived. Matthew chapter 26. Brother Yankowski, the eager 
Brother Yankowski, when you get to Matthew 26, could you read for us verse 62 and 63? So he's pushing Jesus, and Jesus just stands there and holds his peace. If you take a lamb and you lead them to slaughter, they're too um, uh, unknowing, too dumb is the word used in Isaiah 53, to know you're being walked into a slaughterhouse. They don't have any idea, and uh, they're meek. They just stand there, and Jesus was of that same disposition. He did not defend himself. He did not fight it. In fact, mostly he was silent, not only with Caiaphas, but also with the elders. Turn over to Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 12. Isaiah 27, or rather Matthew 27, excuse me, Matthew 27 verse 12. Matthew 20, Robert, you want to read for us? He just stood there. He's being accused. And he opened not his mouth. How about before Pilate? Look at Matthew twenty-seven fourteen. I'm sorry. Oh, yes, Matthew twenty-seven fourteen. So now he's before Pilate. Let's see here. Um, Josh, can you read for us verse 14? Marvel greatly. He 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 he's Pilate's questioning him, and Jesus just stands there and says nothing. He opened not his mouth. How about before Herod Antipas? Look at Luke chapter twenty three verse nine. And I think in my studies and in, in understanding of this, Jesus went before uh, oh I think it was six different uh, people between religious councils and political councils and just. The matter of an evening in the in the morning there, he was walked from one place to another, and he's brought before Herod Antipas. Look at Luke twenty three and verse nine. James, you want to read that for us? Go ahead. Yes. Reads the same way in the King James. All right. Okay. Um, he questioned him uh, in many words, but he answered him nothing. So he's saying for Antipas, you see that in verse 8, and he says nothing. One more, look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. 1 Peter 2 verse 21. Brother Joshua, I'm calling you, but behave yourself back there, alright? 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21, if this was a school classroom, Mike's the eager beaver, Josh is the, is the uh, troublemaker. So you know, every, every classroom's got one. Go ahead, 21 through verse Understand these Roman soldiers are used to being cussed at by who, whoever they're punishing. 
they're used to being uh, fought against, right? I mean, imagine the art of trying to nail someone to a tree, right? You, you probably have a soldier with a, with a knee in the chest. You have another soldier, hold, a couple soldiers holding down an arm that's fighting against. You get another soldier who's got the nail position with a mallet. And, and, and this is a three or four guy job to get nails into someone. And Jesus did not revile. He did not say anything. In fact, the soldiers are all in place, as they always are, to hold down Jesus, and he just lays his hand down willingly. And he lays down the other hand willingly. He was like a lamb led before the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. I, want to, I know it's 818, but I want to get through letter B. So last, tomorrow, next week we can finish this out. Let's look at just a couple more passages here. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, verse 7 tells us. Turn over to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Look at verse 1. We're not going to read all this tonight, but look at verse number 1, and we're going to spot read this. I'll do this. I'll begin reading. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, um, uh, Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you... The beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating uh, shall make you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. That was when the Lord was killed. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat of the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, and they shall not eat. Uh, they shall um, uh, they shall eat it. Look down at verse ten. And ye shall let, uh, ye shall let nothing of it remain in the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. They were performing the first Passover. The Passover, the blood of the lamb put on the doorpost, and when the death angel would come by, uh, they would pass. And the, the the lamb of the Lord Jesus was nailed to a cross, lamb to the slaughter. Uh, in the evening, he was nailed, and his blood being on the post. There of the cross, if yet blood is applied to the doorpost of your heart, then when the death angel comes by at your deceasing, the, the wrath of God will pass over you. Turn over to John chapter 1 and verse number 29. John 1, 29. I blame my brother-in-law for being lengthy on our missionary update tonight, and that's why we're running over time. It's never my fault. John 1, 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, we have the church praising the Lord in heaven. And uh, right before the tribulation begins, and what do you have? Um, you have, verse 6, the 
Bible says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Jesus is that lamb in Isaiah 53 that was slain, uh, was slaughtered for our sin. We see in John 19, 32, and verse 34, that he made his grave with the wicked. Isaiah 53 tells us this. It says, and yet, and he made his grave with the wicked. You say, well, how did he make his grave with the wicked? Listen, he was crucified between two thieves, between two malefactors, and he was killed next to two malefactors. But not only that, but we see in Mark 14 that he made his grave with the rich. He made his grave with the rich. Uh, who is that? Well, turn over, let's finish here. Turn over to Mark 14. Mark 14, I'm stepping on the gas pedal. I'm trying to get us out here tonight. Mark 14, and look at verse number 44. I encourage you to go do your own study on this in even greater depth beyond the Bible study tonight. Mark 14, verse 44, says this, And he that betrayed... Am I in the right place? Yes. He that betrayed him had given him a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he... I don't have the right passage here. I'm in the wrong place. Maybe it's 15. Let me, let me look. Yes, 15. 1544. Pilate marveled if he, um, if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he, had been, um, he, whether he had been any while dead, and he knew it uh, of the centurion. He gave the body to Joseph. This is Joseph of Arimathea. And he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone upon the door of the sepulcher. Pretty amazing. Um, Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man and he gave his tomb in a prominent place right next to where Jesus was crucified for him to borrow. Next week, we're going to get in to talk about how Isaiah 53 not only predicted his rejection and his redemption, but also predicted his resurrection. We look forward to that next week. We're going to cover letter C, and then we'll jump right into the remainder of Isaiah 53. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's stand. And I want to say as we go, make sure tonight, as I challenged you last week, you are grateful for all that Jesus went through on behalf of your transgression and all of your iniquity. He was bruised for you. His chastisement was for your peace. And by his stripes we are healed. Amen. Let's pray. We'll get out of here tonight. Thank you God for this time to open the Bible. And just see how amazing the word of God is. A prophecy that took place uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. Before you would even be born. Told us exactly not only how you would die. But why you would die. And. Lord, we see all that has come to pass. And Lord, um, through your stripes, salvation is offered. I pray tonight if there's anyone here that happens to not be saved, that they would see the great suffering of Jesus and they would put their faith in Christ alone to be saved. Lord God, guide us tonight. Help us to leave here with a heart full of gratitude for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night.